Chapter Twenty Eight of Sylvia's Lovers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Sylvia's Lovers by Elizabeth Gaskell. Chapter Twenty Eight: The Ordeal. It was the afternoon of an April day in that same year, and the sky was blue above, with little sailing white clouds catching the pleasant sunlight. The earth in that northern country had scarcely yet put on her robe of green. The few trees grew near brooks running down from the moors and the higher ground. The air was full of pleasant sounds prophesying of the coming summer, the rush and murmur and tinkle of the hidden watercourses, the song of the lark poised up high in the sunny air, the bleat of the lambs calling to their mothers. Everything inanimate was full of hope and gladness. For the first time for a mournful month, the front door of Hatersbank Farm was open. The warm spring air might enter, and displace the sad dark gloom if it could. There was a newly lighted fire in the unused grate, and Kester was in the kitchen, with his clogs off his feet, so as not to dirty the spotless floor, stirring here and there, and trying in his awkward way to make things look homelike and cheerful. He had brought in some wild daffodils, which he had been to seek in the dawn, and he placed them in a jug on the dresser. Dolly Reed, the woman who had come to help Sylvia during her mother's illness a year ago, was attending to something in the back kitchen, making a noise among the milk cans, and singing a ballad to herself as she worked. Yet every now and then she checked herself in her singing, as if a sudden recollection came upon her that this was neither the time nor the place for songs. Once or twice she took up the funeral song, which is sung by the bearers of the body in that country. Our God, our help in ages past. But it was of no use. The pleasant April weather out of doors, and perhaps the natural spring in the body, disposed her nature to cheerfulness, and insensibly she returned to her old ditty. Kester was turning over many things in his rude, honest mind as he stood there, giving his finishing touches every now and then to the aspect of the house-place, in preparation for the return of the widow and daughter of his old master. It was a month and more since they had left home, more than a fortnight since Kester, with three halfpence in his pocket, had set out after his day's work to go to York, to walk all night long, and to wish Daniel Robson his last farewell. Daniel had tried to keep up, and had brought out one or two familiar threadbare, well-worn jokes, such as he had made Kester chuckle over many a time and oft, when the two had been together afield, or in the shippen at the home which he should never more see but no old grouse in the gun-room could make Kester smile, or do anything except groan in but a heart-broken sort of fashion, and presently the talk had become more suitable to the occasion, Daniel being up to the last, the more composed of the two, for Kester, when turned out of the condemned cell, fairly broke down into the heavy sobbing he had never thought to sob again on earth. He had left Bell and Sylvia in their lodging at York under Philip's care. He dared not go see them. He could not trust himself. He had sent them his duty, and bade Philip tell Sylvia that the game hen had brought out fifteen chickens at a hatch. Yet although Kester sent this message through Philip, although he saw and recognized all that Philip was doing on their behalf, in the behalf of Daniel Robson, the condemned felon, his honored master, he liked Hepburn not a whit better than he had done before all this sorrow had come upon them. Philip had perhaps shown a want of tact in his conduct to Kester, Acute with passionate keenness in one direction, he had a sort of dull straightforwardness in all others, 
for instance he had returned kester the money which the latter had so gladly advanced towards the expenses incurred in defending daniel now the money which philip gave him back was a part of an advance which foster brothers had made on philip's own account philip had thought that it was hard on kester to lose his savings in a hopeless cause and had made a point of repaying the old man but kester would far rather have felt that the earnings of the sweat of his brow had gone in the attempt to save his master's life than have had twice ten times as many gold guineas moreover it seemed to take his action in lending his hoard out of the sphere of love and make it but a leaden common loan when it was philip who brought him the sum not sylvia into whose hands he had given it with these feelings kester felt his heart shut up as he saw the long-watched-for two coming down the little path with a third person with philip holding up the failing steps of poor bell robson as loaded with her heavy mourning and feeble from the illness which had detained her in york ever since the day of her husband's execution she came faltering back to her desolate home sylvia was also occupied in attending to her mother once or twice when they paused a little she and philip spoke in the familiar way in which there is no coyness nor reserve kester caught up his clogs and went quickly out through the back kitchen into the farmyard not staying to greet them as he had meant to do and yet it was dull-sighted of him not to have perceived that whatever might be the relations between philip and sylvia he was sure to have accompanied them home for alas he was the only male protector of their blood remaining in the world poor kester who would fain have taken that office upon himself chose to esteem himself cast off and went heavily about the farmyard knowing that he ought to go in and bid such poor welcome as he had to offer yet feeling too much to like to show himself before philip it was long too before any one had leisure to come and seek him bell's mind had flashed up for a time till the fatal day only to be reduced by her subsequent illness into complete and hopeless childishness it was all philip and sylvia could do to manage her in the first excitement of returning home her restless inquiry for him who would never more be present in the familiar scene her feverish weariness and uneasiness all required tender soothing and most patient endurance of her refusals to be satisfied with what they said or did at length she took some food and refreshed by it and warmed by the fire she sank asleep in her chair then philip would fain have spoken with sylvia before the hour came at which he must return to monkshaven but she eluded him and went in search of kester whose presence she had missed she had guessed some of the causes which kept him from greeting them on their first return but it was not as if she had shaped these causes into the definite form of words it is astonishing to look back and find how differently constituted were the minds of most people fifty or sixty years ago they felt they understood without going through reasoning or analytic processes and if this was the case among the more educated people of course it was still more so in the class to which sylvia belonged she knew by some sort of intuition that if philip accompanied them home as indeed under the circumstances was so natural as to be almost unavoidable the old servant and friend of the family would absent himself and so she slipped away at the first possible moment to go in search of him there he was in the farmyard leaning over the gate that opened into the home field apparently watching the poultry that scratched and pecked at the new springing grass with the utmost relish a little farther off were the ewes with their new-dropped lambs beyond that the great old thorn-tree with its round fresh clusters of buds again beyond that there was a glimpse of the vast sunny rippling sea but sylvia knew well that kester was looking at none of these things she went up to him and touched his arm he started from his reverie and turned round upon her with his dim eyes full of unshed tears when he saw her black dress her deep mourning he had hard work to keep from breaking out 
but by dint of a good brush of his eyes with the back of his hand and a moment's pause he could look at her again with tolerable calmness why kester why didst never come speak to us said sylvia finding it necessary to be cheerful if she could i don't know never ax me i say they gin dick simpson whose evidence had been all material against poor daniel robson at the trial ah to rotten eggs and foul things they could a saturday they did continued he in a tone of satisfaction ay and they never stopped to see whether tags were rotten or fresh when their blood was up nor whether stones was hard or soft he added in a lower tone and chuckling a little sylvia was silent he looked at her now chuckling still her face was white her lips tightened her eyes aflame she drew a long breath i wish i'd been there i wish i could do him an ill turn sighed she with some kind of expression on her face that made kester quail a little nay lass he'll get it frae others never fret thysel about sich rubbish i'm done ill to speak on him no thou hasn't them as was friends of father's a love for ever and ever them as helped for to hang him she shuddered from head to foot a sharp irrepressible shudder i'll never forgive never never's a long word said kester musingly i could horsewhip him or cast stones at him or duck him myself but lass never's a long word well never heed if it is it's me as has said it and i'm turned savage late days come in kester and see poor mother ah cannot said he turning his wrinkled puckered face away that she might not see the twitchings of emotion on it there's kind to be fetched up and what not and he's there isn't he sylvie facing round upon her with inquisitiveness under his peering eyes she reddened a little yes if it's philip thou means he's been all we've had to look to sin again the shudder well now he'll be seein after his shop i reckon sylvia was calling to the old mare nibbling tufts of early springing grass here and there and half unconsciously coaxing the creature to come up to the gate to be stroked but she heard kester's words well enough and so he saw although she made this excuse not to reply but kester was not to be put off folks is talkin about thee and him thou hat a mind lest thee and him gets your names coupled together it's right down cruel on folks then said she crimsoning from some emotion as if any man as was a man wouldn't do all he could for two lone women at such a time and he a cousin too tell me who said so continued she firing round at kester and i'll never forgive him that's all hoot said kester a little conscious that he himself was the principal representative of that name of multitude folk here's a pretty lass she's got i'll never forgie at her tongue's end we a vengeance sylvia was a little confused oh kester man said she my heart is sore again every one of her father's sake and at length the natural relief of plentiful tears came and kester with instinctive wisdom let her weep undisturbed indeed he cried not a little himself they were interrupted by philip's voice from the back door sylvie your mother's awake and wants you come kester come and taking hold of him she drew him with her into the house bell rose as they came in holding by the arms of the chair at first she received kester as though he had been a stranger i'm glad to see you sir to master's out but he'll be in afore long it'll be about to lambs you're come maybe mother said sylvia dunnot ye see it's kester kester wi' his sunday clothes on kester ay sure it is my eyes have getten so sore and dim of late just as if i'd been greeting i'm sure lad i'm glad to see thee it's a long time i've been away but it were not pleasure-seeking as took me it were business as some make tell him sylvie what it were for my head's clean gone i only know i wouldn't ha left home if i could ha helped it 
for I think I should have kept my health better if I'd bided at home with my master. I wonder as he's not comed in for to bid me welcome. Is he far afield, think ye, Kester? Kester looked at Sylvia, mutely imploring her to help him out in the dilemma of answering, but she was doing all she could to help crying. Philip came to the rescue. Aunt, he said, the clock has stopped. Can you tell me where to find a key and I'll wind it up? To key, said she hurriedly, to key, it's behind to big Bible on yon shelf, but I'd rather thou wouldn't touch it, lad. It's to master's work, and he distrusts folk meddling with it. Day after day there was this constant reference to her dead husband. In one sense it was a blessing. All the circumstances attendant on his sad and untimely end were swept out of her mind along with the recollection of the fact itself. She referred to him as absent, and had always some plausible way of accounting for it which satisfied her own mind, and accordingly they fell into the habit of humouring her, and speaking of him as gone to Monkshaven, or afield, or wearied out, and taking a nap upstairs, as her fancy led her to believe for the moment. But this forgetfulness, though happy for herself, was terrible for her child. It was a constant renewing of Sylvia's grief, while her mother could give her no sympathy, no help, or strength in any circumstances that arose out of this grief. She was driven more and more upon Philip, his advice and his affection became daily more necessary to her. Kester saw what would be the end of all this more clearly than did Sylvia herself, and, impotent to hinder what he feared and disliked, he grew more and more surly every day. Yet he tried to labor hard and well for the interests of the family, as if they were bound up in his good management of the cattle and land. He was out and about by the earliest dawn, working all day long with might and main, he bought himself a pair of new spectacles, which might, he fancied, enable him to read the farmer's complete guide, his dead master's vade mecum. But he had never learned more than his capital letters, and had forgotten many of them, so the spectacles did him but little good. Then he would take the book to Sylvia, and ask her to read to him the instructions he needed, instructions, be it noted, that he would formerly have despised as mere book-learning, but his present sense of responsibility had made him humble. Sylvia would find the place with all deliberation, and putting her finger under the line to keep the exact place of the word she was reading, she would strive in good earnest to read out the directions given. But when every fourth word had to be spelt, it was rather hopeless work, especially as all these words were unintelligible to the open-mouthed listener, however intent he might be. He had generally to fall back on his own experience, and guided by that, things were not doing badly in his estimation, when one day Sylvia said to him, as they were in the hayfield, heaping up the hay into cocks with Dolly Reed's assistance. "'Kester, I didn't tell thee. There were a letter from Meester Hall, Lord Malton's steward, that came last night, and that Philip read me.' She stopped for a moment. "'Ay, lass, Philip read it thee, and what might it say?' "'Only that he had an offer for Hagersbank Farm, and would set Mother free to go as soon as t' crops was off to ground.' She sighed a little as she said this. "'Only, says ta, what in business has he for to go and offer to let to farm for ever he were told as ye wish to leave it?' observed Kester in high dudgeon. "'Oh,' replied Sylvia, throwing down her rake, as if weary of life, "'what could we do with a farm and land? If it were all dairy I might have done, but was so much on it arable. And if tis arable, is not I allas to te for?' "'Oh, man, do not find fault with me. I'm just fain to lie down and die if it were not for mother.' "'Ay, thy mother will be sore unsettled if thou's for quitting Hater's Bank,' said merciless Kester. "'I cannot help it. I cannot help it. What can I do? It would take two pair of men's hands to keep to land up as Maester Hall likes it, and beside—' "'Beside what?' said Kester, looking up at her with his sudden odd look. 
one eye shut the other open there she stood her two hands clasped tight together her eyes filling with tears her face pale and sad beside what he asked again sharply tancer sent to mr hall philip wrote it last night so there's no use planning and fretting it were done for to best and mun be done she stooped and picked up her rake and began tossing the hay with energy the tears streaming down her cheeks unheeded it was kester's turn to throw down his rake she took no notice he did not feel sure she had observed his action he began to walk towards the field gate this movement did catch her eye for in a minute her hand was on his arm and she was stooping forward to look into his face it was working and twitching with emotion kester oh man speak out but do not leave me at this ends what could i ha' done mother is gone dateless with sorrow and i am but a young lass a years i mean for i'm old enough wi weeping i to put up for to farm myself sooner than had they turned out said kester in a low voice then working himself up into a passion as a new suspicion crossed his mind he added and what for didn't ye tell me unto letter you're in a mighty hurry to settle it ah and get rid o' the old place maister hall had said to notice to quit on midsummer day but philip had answered it hisself thou knows i'm not good at reading writing special when a letter's full o' long words and philip had taken it in hand to answer without asking thee sylvia went on without minding the interruption and maister hall makes a good offer for to man as is going to come in will take this stock and art implements and if mother if we if i like the furniture and all furniture said kester in grim surprise what's to come o to missus and thee that you'll not need a bed to lie on or a pot to boil your victual in sylvia reddened but kept silence cannot you speak oh kester i didn't think thou'd turn again me and me so friendless it's as if i'd been doing something wrong and i've so striven to act as is best there's mother as well as me to be thought on cannot you answer a question said kester once more what'n's up that to missus and you'll not need bed and table pots and pans i think i'm going to marry philip said sylvia in so low a tone that if kester had not suspected what her answer was to be he could not have understood it after a moment's pause he recommenced his walk towards the field gate but she went after him and held him tight by the arm speaking rapidly kester what could i do what can i do he's my cousin and mother knows him and likes him and he's been so good to us in all this time of trouble and heavy grief and he'll keep mother in comfort all the rest of her days ay and thee in comfort there's a deal in a well-filled purse in a wench's eye or one would have thought it weren't so easy for getting yon lad as loved he as to apple on his eye kester kester she cried i've never forgotten charlie i think on him i see him every night lying drowned at the bottom of the sea forgetting him man it's easy talking she was like a wild creature that sees its young but is unable to reach it without a deadly spring and yet is preparing to take that fatal leap kester himself was almost startled and yet it was as if he must go on torturing her and who tell thee so sure and certain as he were drowned he might have been carried off by the press gang as well as other men oh if i were but dead that i might know all cried she flinging herself down on the hay kester kept silence then she sprang up again and looking with eager wistfulness into his face she said tell me de chances tell me quick philip's very good and kind and he says he shall die if i will not marry him and there's no home for mother and me no home for her for as for me i do not care what becomes on me but if charlie's alive i cannot marry philip no not if he dies for want of me and as for mother poor mother kester it's an awful strait only first tell me if there's a chance just one in a thousand only one in a hundred thousand as charlie were ta'en by to gang 
she was breathless by this time what with her hurried words and what with the beating of her heart kester took time to answer he had spoken before too hastily this time he weighed his words kinraid went away from this here place to join his ship and he never joined it no more and to captain and all his friends at newcastle as ever were made search for him on board to king's ships that's more nor fifteen month ago and not has ever been heard on him by any man that's what's to be said on one side it's a matter then on t'other there's this as is known his hat were cast up by to sea wi a ribbon on it as there's reason to think as he'd not have parted with so quick if he'd had his own will but you said as he might have been carried off by it again you did kester though now you're off at other side my lass i'd fain have him alive and i do not fancy philip for thy husband but it's a serious judgment as thou's put me on and i'm trying it fair there's allus one chance in a thousand as he's alive for no man ever saw him dead but to gang were anon about monkshaven then there were never a tender on to coast nearer than shields and those there were searched he did not say any more but turned back into the field and took up his haymaking again sylvia stood quite still thinking and wistfully longing for some kind of certainty kester came up to her sylvie thou knows philip paid me back my money and it were eight pound fifteen and three pence and to hay and stock'll sell for summat above to rent and i've a sister as he's a decent widow woman though but badly off livin at dale end and if thee and thy mother'll go live wi her i'll give thee well on to all i can earn and it'll be a matter of five shilling a week but do not go and marry a man as thou's none taken wi and another as most like for to be dead but who maybe is alive havin a pull on thy heart sylvia began to cry as if her heart was broken she had promised herself more fully to philip the night before than she had told kester and with some pains and much patience her cousin her lover alas her future husband had made the fact clear to the bewildered mind of her poor mother who had all day long shown that her mind and heart were full of the subject and that the contemplation of it was giving her as much peace as she could ever know and now kester's words came to call up echoes in the poor girl's heart just as she was in this miserable state wishing that the grave lay open before her and that she could lie down and be covered up by the soft green turf from all the bitter sorrows and carking cares and weary bewilderments of this life wishing that her father was alive that charlie was once more here that she had not repeated the solemn words by which she had promised herself to philip only the very evening before she heard a soft low whistle and looking round unconsciously there was her lover and affianced husband leaning on the gate and gazing into the field with passionate eyes devouring the fair face and figure of her his future wife oh kester said she once more what mun i do i'm pledged to him as strong as words can make it and mother blessed us both wi more sense than she's had for weeks kester man speak shall i go and break it all off say nay it's known for me to say mappin thou's gone too far them above only knows what is best again that long cooing whistle sylvie he's been very kind to us all said sylvia laying down her rake with slow care and i'll try to make him happy End of chapter twenty eight